magic of the sunstone, you're tuned into the Jewel Riders Archive. Hey, Jewel fans. I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie from the Jewel Riders Archive. We're here today with another special episode of the Jewel Riders Archive podcast. And today we have a really cool guest for you. You know that we've been reading the Avalon Web of Magic series. And today we're so fortunate to sit down with the illustrator of the series, Ali Strom. Welcome, Ali. Ah, hi. Hello. Thank you. Glad to have you here. I'm so, really glad to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about your background as an artist. Oh, man. Um, wow. Uh, so I guess like... Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm suddenly like super nervous. <laughs> no, <You're> no. <laughs> Let's start um, this over. So, Ali, tell us a little bit about, you know, background of your art and how you kind of really got started with your artwork. Like, was this something that you kind of started from childhood? I did, actually. Yeah. So, like, just drawing was always something that I really, really loved doing. It's something that um, honestly brought me and friends together throughout our entire life, whether it was, like, meeting kids in school or, like, uh, going to art classes, um, or, uh, like even like when we first started like going to, uh, the Pokemon league and stuff like that, when we were like, you know, 10 years old and stuff, like even there, the way that I ended up meeting like lifelong friends was just by like, you know, you'd be sitting on the side of the action, drawing pictures and someone would see you doing that and they'd bust out a sketch pad and start drawing too. And it's like suddenly you're friends for life. And, um, it's just something that I've always really loved doing and something that I always really wanted to do um, for a living and something that I feel like I've been really fortunate to get to pursue, you know, thanks to encouragement from a lot of people in my life. Um, even when things got really scary and didn't seem like it would work out, like it's just always been something that I could turn to. That's fantastic. And I love the fact that you even mentioned friendship, because as the theme of Jewel Writers and Avalon kind of go hand in hand with, it's just, you know, friends together, friends forever. That's true to the theme. You had also mentioned something that I wanted to point out. You had talked about, you know, going to the Pokemon Leagues at 10 years old and about how art brought you together. Um, fun fact is that Chris and I actually were 10 when we met. Uh, actually, I believe I was nine, but still, you know, we were 10 years old. We had just found Jewel Writers, and it was in school that we really started to connect over jewel writers and art too. Yeah, we so were the weird art kids. <laughs> yeah, weird, weird art kids for life. Yay! <laughs> this is so fun. But you know, we're always inspired by things before that. Like for myself, I was always inspired by Disney. So anything that I drew always looked like Disney, except for my hands. They looked like Legos. Like they had little oh, like yeah, no. they, they were like little <laughs> wrench hands. I don't know. <laughs> like no, ha hands and hair were always like that. That's the original mystery of how do I draw this. <laughs> because everyone kind of has their own problems, and you know, so. Chris kind of was inspired a lot by anime. And I think that as we kind of meshed each other's style 
my art started to turn a little bit more, I wouldn't say necessarily anime, but it was like a mixture of like, you know, American animation and sure, Japanese. Sure. So for yourself, were you inspired by Pokemon or like, was there other early influences for you? You know, uh, so anime definitely hit super hard and, you know, like, Everything past that point definitely had that as an influence. But um, before then, um, so I, I think I owe a lot of my early artistic inspiration to uh, my big sister and also to some extent my dad, because um, they both had like these fantastical fantasy books. Like uh, my sister was a, a huge reader. So uh, Xanth novels, Captain Harrington, like all all kinds of stories and sci-fi and fantasy um, and I never had the patience to sit through a novel. Like I could read just fine, but I would start reading and my brain would catch on fire and I would just want to draw or run around outside. And <laughs> the thing that always caught me were the covers, like those just opulent, beautiful, crazy colors and fantastical settings and horrifyingly airbrushed planets. Like it was just like, <laughs> but it was just so incredible to me that anyone can make art like that. And I mentioned my dad, uh, he played D and D he got us probably super into video games. And I remember, um, grabbing, uh, specifically, uh, the monster manuals. And these are like the old black and white uh, D&D books, by the way. So they had that like really great, like really awkward, just pen and ink drawings and everything looks really hideous and terrifying. Yeah, um, and I, mean, I was I read a lot of old Dragonlance novels. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think I'm familiar with <laughs> God, I was in love with those monsters. Like, I was, I'm, I am still probably super scared of the dark and a giant baby, but I can, I could just wa look at these like awful piles of brains with teeth and stuff and just be like, that is so cool. Um, <laughs> and um, like the manuals, especially that came with like old Nintendo games and things like that, that had like the drawings of like maps of the world. And of course the bestiary, always a big deal. Like they were things that just would again just inspire me so much about like this other world and like the creatures that lived in it and the things that you could do there. Um, and like, I remember like, I think one of the very first jobs that I, I wanted to have as like itty bitty baby alley was like, I wanted to grow up and draw monsters for like Nintendo manuals. I think if you told baby Allie that one day the like Nintendo manuals wouldn't be a thing anymore, she probably would have started crying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like just uh, in a lot of ways, like fantasy novels, bestiaries, uh, things like that just were like really hugely inspiring for me. And probably again, around uh, when I was 10 years old, um, this is uh, like we'd watch. Uh, Cause yeah, this was uh, Saturday morning cartoons. So um, at the end of the Saturday morning cartoons, I think my sister and I would like watch Fox 8 or something like that. I don't even remember anymore. But they had like this super awkward like wrestling soap opera. And me <laughs> and my sister and this kid down the street were super into it. And we'd watch it and we'd have a dang good time and we'd run around outside and play. Um, and then one day, instead of the super awkward wrestling drama, Dragon Ball Z came on. And we had no idea what we were looking at. This was the ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z. Okay. It was just super metal right off the bat. People had blue hair. They were named after vegetables. I don't we, like it was like right in the middle of the, the Namek arc, too. Like it was completely out of sync. We were so yeah, that's, lost. That's about where I started watching it, too. Yeah, we were so 
we were so lost and angry and just betrayed. And then <laughs> two weeks later, we were so addicted to it. And that was how we discovered anime pretty much. Um, and began trying to also mimic like Akira Toriyama's artwork. Um, and it like not long after that, we found out about Pokemon, met a bunch of friends at the Pokemon League, learned about Sailor Moon, which was life changing for me. I'd never seen anything that beautiful. Um, and just like, I think after that, like, I always had like this urge to draw like incredibly fantastical things, but also like it became like wispier or tougher or whatever it was that we were like into as a friends group at the time would like find its way into like the playground of our collective styles and out into the work that we would make together. It just sounds like Avalon was like a checkbox for everything then when you're talking about all like the animals, the fantasy, yeah. the the characters, the it land was, building. It was really such a dream come true, right? Because it's just like, hey, you can illustrate a fantasy novel and it's got bestiaries and monsters and magic and all this other incredible stuff. But like, you know, subject matter aside, there were also a lot of things about the project that were incredibly challenging. We'll have to hear about those before soon. We, before we <laughs> get into Avalon, though, I know you mentioned Akira Toriyama, the uh, author-illustrator of the Dragon Ball series. Do mm-hmm. you have any other uh, favorite artists that you that you enjoy following, either you know manga artists or traditional artists or anything like that? Oh, gosh, tons. Now watch me draw a blank. Um, so, um, Isn't that the way uh, it is? <laughs> it's it's always like that, right? Um, yeah, I love Matt Rockefeller's artwork. He's so good. Really great stuff. Um, I love, um, oh, my gosh, I was just joking a second ago about drawing a blank, and now I'm totally drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like one of the things that you love to to look at all you, every day, and you're like, um, I spend right, 24 hours on it, right? <laughs> it's like, where, I don't know what I like. I don't know. Don't ask me this ah, question. My brain, where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt Holmberg was a really uh, in, like all the while like uh, this was probably still in my early teenage years when we uh, found out we we all got like super in love with another card game called Imagination and. I fell hyper in love with Matt Holmberg's artwork and like would try to emulate his style. It was just so appealing. Um, golly, I really am drawing blanks. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel so silly. It's like I literally like write down their names uh, so I can tell people about all these different styles. And uh... it could also be the actual like product that they create, whether it's like for animation or if it's a book series, like, is there any products specifically that you can think of that has inspired you? Oh my gosh. Um, what's the person's name? Oh, uh, Hiroyuki Asada is another artist that I super duper love. Um, uh, Arthur Rackham. So like a very traditional, like, uh, again, pen and ink style, uh, like classic children's book sort of illustrations, but really ethereal, wispy and weird. Like you just, you look at his art and you like, you feel like it's floating, like flowing. Um, mm. And I really love that um, he doesn't color inside the lines because I hate coloring inside the lines. And <laughs> it's just like, he like just lets all of these things like flow out and flow together. And I just think it's really, really beautiful. Um, golly. 
I'm so sorry. I <laughs> no, no, seriously totally can't think. <laughs> that sounds like a great collection of people. Uh, yeah, that's definitely perfect. Thank you so much. So now from being inspired by all those people and being at the Pokemon circles and watching anime and Dragon Ball, how did you kind of get your first gig? Like, how did that look? Like, what, what was your education background or whatever it might be? What, what was kind of the first Alley production? Um, honestly, like the first artwork that I made was just for people one-on-one on the internet. Like I sold my first commissions on eBay. So this was before I even had a DeviantArt. You just open a listing and people would bid on it. And then you would just end up trying the weirdest things. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. My um, gosh, opening your sketchbook to all of eBay is a terrifying prospect. <laughs> it, it just seemed like the thing to do. And so we did it. And there it was. Um, right. Um, but yeah, uh, like I would do artwork for friends of mine on the Imagination forums. And that was really formative. Um, I think the first contract uh, I ever signed for anything was actually um, to make some artwork for that card game unfortunately it um the i think the project uh kind of fell apart before that set was ever released but i still made that artwork and i was very very proud of it and um honestly again like actually getting to talk to to matt and you know the idea of being able to make art with these people who i really really admired on this game that i really really loved was just like ah it was it was incredible um, and, uh, yeah, I think actually Avalon was probably the first, I guess, major thing that I did. Um, like I, I think I'd done a couple of like, again, uh, a lot of just individual illustrations and maybe a comic here and there, which to me at the time, those would count as like very, very large projects, but mm-hmm. nothing, nothing nearly as involved with uh, illustrating for like uh, for um, middle grade chapter books or anything like that. Like I had no context of anything about uh, the publishing industry or anything else that later on when I got to go to school and do all of those things, I would learn a lot more about. Um, But at the time I was just like, okay, it's like doing a lot of commissions. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't be more wrong because like uh, it, it was just it was in, it was in just a ton of like learning um, as fast as you can draw. Now, I have to ask, did you have to apply to work on Avalon or was or did they no, seek you out? Um, they actually sought me out. Uh, oh, very through De- cool. Through DeviantArt. Um, I was taking commissions pretty much all the time back then. That was my uh, that was how I made my money. Um, so I spent a lot of time hunched over my <laughs> tablet indoors and missing out on a lot of things, but just having a lot of fun because like it was so much fun. People would come to you with incredible imaginative ideas and you'd get to draw them. Um just it was a lot of fun and I got the the email from uh seven seas and I honestly I didn't believe it the first time I read it it was just like (laughs) it was just a note on DeviantArt asking if I wanted to make artwork for a chapter book and my first thought was like this isn't real this is this is some kind of crazy scam uh and the next thing (laughs) because it's like who uh, what um but the the next thing I knew like I was talking to the folks there and they were just really incredible and like again 
it's one of those things where I just, I wish I had known a little bit more about just everything involved with working in publishing. Um, Cause like, I don't even feel like I ever did a proper job of thanking everybody for essentially tutoring me in the process of getting to make artwork for a book series. Um, it sounds like a dream come true. It's so fantastic. It, it, it at times was the most fun thing you could imagine. And it at times was like, I mean, it's like anything else, like you'll, you'll find yourself just like, ah, how do I, how did I get into this? What am I, what am I doing? Ah, I haven't left my house in two weeks or things, you know, things like that. Oh, imagine not leaving your house for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, back then that was actually something. Right. (laughs) right. I know. Right. (laughs) I I got two months on you. So now timeline wise, what year are we talking when they sought you out? It had to, so it's a little bit blurry for me because a bunch of landmark moments kind of happened around that time. And I think it must have been just after 2005 because um, the other big thing that happened around the time I started working on Avalon was I started college. And you can imagine that that was just, you know, that was a, a match not made in heaven. I so it's can like, imagine. Cool. Now I get to learn how to, now I get to learn how to prioritize my time around a project like this while also learning how to be a student um, Mm -hmm. at university. Uh, And the two did not ever play nice together. (laughs) (laughs) Now that, I tell you what, that was a moment I was glad I didn't know any better because in my naivety, my answer was always, well, I'll just work a little harder and it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Ever the optimist. (laughs) I mean, when you have nothing else, sometimes that's what you get to fall back on. And in, I I honestly think that ended up being a saving grace a lot of the time. Um, So it must've been around it must have been around 2006, 2007. Forgive me, like it's it's a little bit blurry. No, I mean that that sounds about right timeline wise from when the books started being re released. Yeah, now, I don't think it they, was. Oh, go ahead. Oh, did they ever like send you copies of the original books that they had that had been published, or to see um, the original cover artwork? I definitely saw the original cover artwork. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your feelings. That's what I want to know when you receive them. Did it look like a '90s Taco Bell threw up on it, something? Or? Look, it was it was truly outrageous. Um, <laughs> this is not Gem. This is Avalon, but apparently it was truly outrageous. It's, it's, it's the same like you know fearless love of the neon and the the, the Photoshop and like and the thing is is like I feel so bad because like I also feel like I'm responsible for creating some pretty hard to look at pieces of artwork along my adventures. So like, I I have to check myself before I rail too hard on it. Um, But I I do remember, (laughs) I I do remember looking at the covers and like, I think my impression of them aside from bright was like, they they really did feel like just a time capsule of like that particular style. Like you'd look at it and you just were like, Ooh, Mid nineties, where am I? <laughs> <a> bookstore. <laughs> just like this belongs right next to the babysitters club or something oh like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. babysitters club, and over there are animorphs and goosebumps yeah. and 
<laughs> you know, the Animorphs covers are... That's actually a very good comparison. That same strange Photoshop look. I used to think those were so cool. <laughs> like, so <laughs> weird. But, it's like, but you don't know any better. That's also when you thought lens flares were a good thing. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I know what this picture needs. More color dodge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of more. <laughs> Oh my goodness. If it gracious. doesn't burn my eyes when I look at it, I'm not done. <laughs> Again, like I, I I cannot I cannot stress enough how many times I've committed these sins. So <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. I love it. But you know, I love color and I love nineties. So for me, I love things like that. So when I look at the series, I don't necessarily have as much to say about those original covers, but I know, Chris, you love comparing them to, for whatever reason, Taco Bell. I don't know why you think Taco Bell, but... <laughs> it's all those it's sure not strange, the thing that comes... like, Southwest tribal designs on them. <laughs> oh! Is that where you're coming from? Because I, I don't get that. I about that. <laughs> <laughs> but then there is the theme of the whole, you know, Adrian is Native American, and there's, mm-hmm. like, the dream catchers and things like that. I don't know. Okay, well, we're we're going to talk about Miss <laughs> Allie's art. <laughs> so, so, okay, so a good timeline, though, that way we know is the mid, you know, the mid-early 2000s, as you had said. So they there. sought you out, and then you said, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm starting to go to school as well. So kind of walk us through the process of either how long it took or, you know, what what was the general timeline, but then also the production process. So essentially from when you got that offer letter until you were essentially delivering the final art. Tell us that story in between. Um, okay, so first of all, I guess you have the process of, you know, you you get to meet your your editor or your contact, though, again, at the time, I didn't really know what any of that meant, and I feel incredibly ashamed of that. Um, I Let's see. So first things first, um, you have to familiarize yourself with the material, of course. And I'm ashamed to admit that until that point in time, I actually hadn't read Avalon and none of my friends had read Avalon. And in fact, I hadn't ever even really heard of Jewel Riders. I I didn't really know that there was a connection between the two series um, until y'all reached out to me. And that's when I started looking and realized, oh, my gosh, wow. Um, And so um, with that first uh, the first book that we illustrated with Circles in the Stream, um, Mm -hmm. that was the very first time I'd ever read Avalon. And that's basically where everything started. So you would read that book and um, kind of as you're going through it, imagining um, what. So this is a little weird to describe, but so um, when you're illustrating a book, you want to find moments to put with the text that not necessarily shows exactly what's being written. Um, but complements what is there. That way you don't have like two things saying the same thing. So the picture is just telling us like another view of the story to kind of like accompany it. Um, so you like, wh- as you're reading those and imagining the scenes as vividly as you can, like you're trying to pick up on those specific moments that like are high moments or funny moments or just good take a breath moments. Um, to accompany with a piece of artwork in a way that like helps kind of crystallize it together. Um, I love and that. you I you love like that interpretation. Yeah, 
Um, and you, you collect those moments as you read and, uh, you kind of pitch those back. So after you've read everything, like you can imagine you'd make a WordPad document or whatever you were using, break it out chapter by chapter and like list the ideas for uh, each of those chapters that you think would stand out. And, um, you collaborate with your contact to figure out like where you're in agreement or where it's like, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of this character so far. Can we show this character instead? Or, Hey, this chapter should be a little quieter. Maybe we should show something like a smaller illustration here. Um, or in some cases omit one. Um, I know that actually came in handy, uh, much, much later on. Some of the books are a bit lighter on illustrations. Uh, and I remember like around those times too, being really inundated with school to the point where I was like tearing my hair out. Uh, but anyway, mm. um, <clears throat> anyway, anyway, um, so past that point, you begin the process of, uh, sketches, um, and just for everything that you've got, you go through and you make like a rough sketch or a rough thumbnail, um, and I know that you both mentioned that uh, y'all each uh, do art. So I'm sure you know that a thumbnail is like a five second compositional mock-up of the entire illustration. So you can just communicate what the idea of the scene is and the composition without, you know, dumping a bunch of hours into actually making the artwork only to show it to whoever you're working with and have them come back to you and say, I know you spent a lot of time on this, but I need you to change everything. No one would ever do that. It happens all the time. <laughs> but, also, but, you know, you, you open yourself up to that. And it's honestly, it's it's part of it. Like, I, I really can't complain. Um, so after you get through that process and you kind of vet the compositions, you basically go through and make the art. And you want to try and check in uh, every so often just to make sure that, like, things are holding together, get another pair of eyes on it. Um, like it's, um, it was a really good way for me to like, as I go, like really zero in on a lot of focus areas that I was super ignorant to, um, such as like, I just have had this long running problem with contrast in my artwork. So I can remember sending things out and getting feedback back, like, Hey, it's all starting to bleed together. Can you punch up the shadows a little bit? Or this isn't going to print very well. Can you make some parts brighter and some parts darker? Um, and it's just like, that's really, really useful for kind of tuning everything as you go. Um, and that's that's basically the process of making the artwork for uh, those books. Um, now, depending on who you work with or what the arrangement is, it can be a unique experience compared to that. Um, but that's how I remember uh, making the interior illustrations going about like. Um, and... Uh, I think I, I think I skipped a little bit of like the, the very earliest parts, um, like things like, uh, the designing the concepts for what the characters looked like in the first place. Cause obviously if you're going to draw scenes with everybody together, it kind of helps to know what they look like. <laughs> right. Um, we'll talk and a little bit more and, about that. Yeah. Sure. We'll, we'll, um, we'll cover that. Sure. Um, and actually, the very first piece of artwork I did for Avalon after the girls were designed was the cover for Circles in the Stream. And that was um, that was a really massive undertaking. Um, that's that's like I, I look at that piece of artwork and I, I, I'm very aware of, like, of course, all the technical things wrong with it, blah, 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 blah. But it also makes me very, very nostalgic because I know how hard we worked on it to make it. And it's just it's really one of those things that kind of places me in that time when I see it and like makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy. Well, I don't know about what opportunities you see in it. I love it. And I see it reproduced <laughs> all over the internet. It's one oh of the gosh. most favorite pieces of art. So I'm really, really glad to hear that. Like yeah. I, 
people love I it. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, when when that first when the re-release of the books came out with that cover, I I breathed a nice sigh of relief. <laughs> And I was like, oh, we're in we're in good hands. <laughs> Apparently it's not Taco Bell. We've moved on. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and so now from mid 2000 something, how long was that whole process since you said that you were still in school? Was this like a year, two years, less than that? What what are we looking at? I um, so I'm, oh my gosh, when did I work on full circle? It took several years actually. So, um, we would work on each book for a couple weeks, I think. Um, I think it, it really has been a little while, but, um, it, the projects were spaced out. So things weren't always like back to back to back. Um, and yeah, it, it it took a couple years to get through all of the books. Um, I think I was a junior in college when I was working on Dark Mage. That might not be right, but that feels right. It would that would be about right. Yeah. So the entire I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of specifics. It really has been some time, and there were so many things happening in that time. But um, yeah, each of the books would take a couple a couple weeks. Um, to maybe, maybe more than a month. That feels long. Um, and the entire collection altogether did in fact take a couple years. Gotcha. I mean, they definitely released them over several years. So that if it, you know, at least a couple of years on your end sounds like about right. Yeah. But I guess, um, again, forgive the, the vagueness of my, my estimates at this point. Um, but I guess, uh, the main takeaway is that we didn't just crunch all the work together, like all in one spot and do all the artwork all at once. Um, that's also why, as you look from book to book, you'll be able to see like differences in the artwork, um, because it was spread out like that. And as you make these things, you're learning, you're still experimenting with things and so on and so forth. Right. Yes. Now, one of the uh books, um, I know one of the books, I believe it's Ghost Wolf. Ghost the, Wolf, yeah. The ninth book is is not illustrated with the interior illustrations yeah. by you. And I was just kind of curious about that. So Ghost Wolf was uh, right around the time um, I was in the middle of school and it was midterms and everything had gone absolutely as sideways as you could possibly imagine. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I had... I remember writing a really panicked email and just like being so scared because I knew I didn't have time and the deadline was coming up. And um, I remember uh, the the artist working on the manga actually uh, came to the rescue and she took my thumbnails for Ghost Wolf and worked off of those. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So, and I remember wishing to goodness that that my thumbnails were legible they are <laughs> they're not i can read them and with a lot of text other people can read them too but like <laughs> i just there's there are there are no words for the gratitude that i had and still have for what she did with all of that it it was really incredible of her to come through um and that's why the art in that book looks different um the cover art um, I was still able to make the time to do, but I remember there was so much else happening uh, during that semester. And 
whether it was just that I had overbooked myself or just I hadn't managed my time properly. Like it was really one of those, it was really one of those moments in time where it just felt like no matter what I did, there was just not enough hours in the day. I wasn't sleeping enough. Everything was super bad. Um, but that was definitely one of those times that like, yeah, they, they really came together and came to the rescue and were able to like, make sure that that book got produced, uh, by the deadline. Um, and like, it was, I I think at the time I was really caught up in like feeling deeply ashamed of dropping the ball. Um, but it was just like that, that moment in time is something that I'm still very, very grateful for. That's when you mentioned story. the manga, were you talking about Warlock Diaries or which? Yeah, manga? Warlock Diaries. Okay. Yeah. Now, were you ever involved in the Warlock Diaries? No, Warlock Diaries and the chapter books were separate projects. Okay. But it's still interesting to know, though. So at least even though the illustrations are done by someone else for Ghost Wolf, it's like it's still essentially you because you were the one who created the initial concepts like you had already like mapped it out for them you know what I mean we were able to at least get through that breakdown process um but yeah other than other than the direction and the cover artwork it was uh it was in the hands of uh of what's her name Shie? Shie, yeah yeah Shie. um and Shie and I I don't I don't even think we'd spoken before and um all she had were those thumbnails to go off of and she pulled it out Fantastic. Do you have any insight into the Warlock Diaries, just out of curiosity, even though you weren't like really not, involved yeah, not, with it? Not really. Um, it, it really is a different world. Okay. Now, creatively, when you were brought onto the project, as far as the actual creative team, I know that you had mentioned, you know, about the editor and things like that and working with that person. But did you ever actually speak with like either Rachel Roberts or Robert Mandel? I think most of the feedback that I received was through uh, was through Seven Seas. I don't remember having a lot of direct contact. Um, I think much much later, I might have spoken to them when we did the one sheet for the Avalon movie. So that was probably the final piece of artwork that I made for Avalon was something that they were using to help uh, to help pitch like a motion picture production. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mm-hmm. like got the three girls uh, kind of shot from the back and the dark sorceress and the foreground and like everything is painted like or attempted to paint it a bit more realistic than honestly, I, I, I think I, I had enough of a grasp to truly convey. And um, I know we had a lot of back and forth with the artwork uh, trying to nail that visual target. Um, because it's one of those moments where it's like, yeah, I have the tools and I can I can wiggle my hands on the paper, right, to kind of make the marks. But like my eyes don't know how to see that yet. And you're really depending on uh, you're really depending on feedback to help kind of guide and shape the final project. And I feel like we must have had some contact around then because like I know that at some point we did get to talk, but I don't actually think we did directly for most of the chapter books. Um, but again, it's been some time and my, my memories might be a bit muddied. It's interesting because how you had mentioned that you didn't know about Jewel Riders during the project. 
I am. It's not a secret that Jewel Rares influenced Avalon by any means. I mean, within the actual context of it, when it's listing the lyrics, the lyrics are pulled directly from the show. Mm-hmm. And even the whole idea of having a, you know, a redheaded healer and a blonde pink main girl and you know a dark haired adventurer like that is straight out of Joel Riders. You so, know the the context would have really helped because I remember thinking, you know, Emily should be the main character because the first book is about <laughs> Emily. Why are all these books about Kara? And <laughs> like feeling like it was terribly unfair. Well Chris and I have talked about this. I've said because the larger fandom is for Tamara, the pink haired um, I almost said princess, the pink haired um, healer from Jewel Riders. Mm-hmm. So I, I always joked that if ever they did a reboot, it probably would be like Tamara and the Jewel Riders. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what it's like. It's like Emily is almost the carrying character. And, you know, I also wonder though that maybe they didn't want you to be inspired by like that because they didn't want you to know. So they didn't want you to easily just go to it and be like, oh, well, there's already this. So let me just kind of draw on it. I would be interested to know, though, if you had known about Jewel Riders and already loving Sailor Moon and the Magical Girl series like Mm -hmm. that, would you have been more influenced to kind of create them differently, perhaps? Probably so, if I'm honest. Um, Like, I never... I had to be pushed to reach for like very, very bright, bold colors and things like that. The the sorts of things that you'll see on the covers of uh, the later books. Um, and even the second color was a struggle because like, All that I remember, yeah, I, I remember reading uh, the first book and like the, the vibes that I got from it were like, it's like fantasy and fairy tale and woodsy. And I want a natural palette and I want like organic shapes and like, had I had that affiliation with jewel writers, I probably would have like, let's go magenta, em- embrace the glittery stuff. <laughs> embrace the teal, pink, and purple. That's essentially it's, what it's it is. C- it's CMYK and it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a perfect color palette. And we've talked to the toy designer like multiple times regarding that. And it's just that those are primary colors that children attach to. You know, they work, and, and they just work perfectly together. It's like for some reason you can do no wrong with teal, magenta, that neon green, yellow, and just like I don't know why they just they just jive. Mm-hmm. Because they're fabulous colors. I, I think I that was the Taco Bell colors. Actually, they are. Actually. <laughs> and now I want Taco Bell. We. <laughs> when this is over, I'm door dashing. <laughs> this was your secret Taco Bell PSA. <laughs> Welcome I am not. A, I am not in any way sponsored by Taco Bell. <laughs> you know, Go ahead, I know Chris. You mentioned the cover for all that glitters, and I have I've seen the Avalon Archive shared a an initial cover, and then there was a second cover. Really? Okay. So let me ask: um, Is the initial cover uh, is Kara standing in the woods? Yes, she's in the woods. The the unicorns kind of in the background. Oh, okay. okay. Was so that I'll an alternate version? Do, uh, that's the first version. So that cover had a bunch of iteration. Um, Cause again, like my, my, my feelings about like, Oh, what, what this series feels like to me is like nature and yes, organic it, shapes and it the feels woods. Much and, more like the, 
like the uh, circles in the stream cover. Yeah, and that was the feedback. It's like, you know, it's too close to the first cover. We need to we need to open it up. We need to do things to it. And I, I remember, like, that was so hard because I worked really, really hard on that. And it was just like, it's not colorful enough. It's not bright enough. We need to open it up. And And that was, like, really a moment where I had to kind of, like, you know, suck it up and, and swallow my, my artist pride, uh, mm-hmm. if you like, and realize that it's like, you know what, if it's not right, it's not right. And that's just part of it. We, we gotta, we gotta take it back to the drawing board. Um, and we've all like, been there, you know, when we're, when we are commissioned to do something, we got to just understand that even though we think that we know better, if that's what the client wants, you have to do it the way that they want, and there's, you know? And the thing is, is like, there's no good way to learn that lesson except to have to have it happen to you and navigate that and understand that it's like, you know what, this is part of the process. And whether you like it or not, like, it's it's not really, it's, it's not even really a case of like, well, I'm the artist, you're commissioning me, I know better, or uh, it's what the customer wants, I have to do it for them, like, it really is a it really is a collaboration. Like I know that they are trusting me a ton with their baby and their vision. And like you can you can really take that for granted because you're spending all this time slaving over these things. And sometimes you feel like all you're getting back is feedback, feedback, feedback. So it can start to feel really abrasive. Um, but you stand back and you realize how much trust is involved with that and like it kind of helps you put it in perspective like when you get that guiding feedback that it's like okay we have to collaborate on this because they are giving me a lot of freedom with this thing that they also are close to and have uh and have a vision of and have context of um even more so than i do and working together, we can push that thing to a point where, like, it reaches a really, really good place. Um, that said, like, there are times where you have to be able to say, you know what, I, I see what we're going for, but I think this is a bad idea. And, and that also takes practice to kind of develop both that that eye and that, that ability to say, okay, hard stop, we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, like, I know that it pushed what we were making into the direction that it needed to go in. And it was a direction that I was super not comfortable going in because like at the time, like most of the art that I made personally was very soft and very muted and and, like the colors would all bleed together. And like suddenly I'm being asked to make like, no, her hair needs to be like distinctly rainbow hair. You need (laughs) to be able to see that it's rainbows we we need more color on on Lyra. We need more color on the Brimbies and the Quiffles. We need we need more color. And like I'm sitting there like nearly crying my eyes out like I'm making it ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like oh it was it was such a it was such a workout getting that cover out. Like I I remember finally seeing it in print and it's just like oh. It's not ugly. <laughs> this. Um, and when you see them and when you see them together, uh, the first and the second books together, it's just like, OK, now I like we need that diversity. We need them to step. But we need them to be set apart. And like you, you really get to understand, like, why all of these steps are necessary. Well, it's also all marketing, too. I mean, they know what their audience likes and what, you know, they're going to be gravitated towards. And again, I think that as, you know, an art student, you're learning all these things and you yourself have, 
your own ideas, but then sometimes you just have to step back and go back to that 10 year old self and be like, what would I have found interesting? What, you know, what would have inspired me? And I think that sometimes I do that myself whenever I'm creating something or doing anything is that I had think about, you know, not obviously you have to talk about who the audience is, but you just kind of think about your own self and you kind of go back to yourself. It's, it's a powerful tool, um, especially because, again, I, met, I I think I mentioned before that like I, I didn't have any context into publishing as an industry, certainly not of marketing. Anything that I knew about striking resonance with a client was purely instinctual. Uh, and the, the the tool that you have in your hip pocket is essentially what you're saying is like, I have to be 10-year-old me, 8-year-old me, seeing that lurid rainbow fantasy cover and like feeling my eyes boggle out of my skull and my heart soar because mm-hmm. I've never seen anything that beautiful in my entire life. That's a perfect um, description. I love yeah. that. I love it. So now there were other iterations that were going to go forward. I know that we were talking about the potential sequel as well um, when we were looking at Shadow Warrior. Did you ever hear about that? I don't remember. It It sounds familiar. Chris, you want to give us a little bit of a summary? Yeah, the, the idea was I think it, it was going to be like a three-book series that was going to follow Adrian after yes. the end. Okay, I, I do remember a little bit about this, but I, I wasn't involved with that one. Okay. No worries. So then going back to Avalon, um, I do have some questions regarding the um, the actual characters themselves. You had mentioned before, you know, like you, you were your different art style and maybe you were used to certain clothing or the way that certain things <laughs> looked or whatever it might be. So, you know, whether that is regarding the the hairstyles, the outfits, you know, some things were very specific, like when you're reading the book in the text itself, it says you know, she's wearing these certain types of boots or, you know, they have these types of like jewelry or they have this type of hair. But how did you kind of decide on the other things? Was it inspired just by the fashion of the time? Is it more or less a timeless fashion? Like what what gave you inspiration? Um, Just a sense of like primarily who the characters seemed like to me when I was reading, uh, reading the books. Um, because of course, as you're saying, there are descriptions. Um, but what the characters do and say, how they react to things. Like I, I wanted to create characters that looked like the, the girls who would make those decisions, say those things, do those things um, and kind of capture the spirit of who they were at the beginning of the story. So we could follow them as they grew. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the first drawings of Emily and Adrian and, uh, and Kara, but um, like the very first Emily had very, very short curly hair. Um, her shorts were too short. Again, apologies. I was, uh, I was deeply <laughs> an anime kid at the time. Uh, and I, I, again, I didn't know that, that there would be anything wrong with that. That was my, my very first piece <laughs> of feedback was like, Hey, can you make her shorts a bit longer? They are too short. And I remember thinking, well, that's a weird bit of feedback. And, you know, again, now that I've gone through a bunch of school and worked on a bunch of things, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would never have flown. Um, (laughs) But like, uh, I think Adrian was like wearing a band shirt with like long sleeves and like her her silhouette was just like really just kind of I don't know how else to put it other than like sharp. Like she was just kind of a she was just kind of a straight shot from her head down to her pants. Like she was a triangle, <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of uh, 
there wasn't a lot of like distinctness about her and she looked like really, really moody and uh Stormbringer was tiny. Like I, what is, <laughs> what? Uh, let me tell you the adventures of how do I draw this animal? Um, <laughs> well, we'll have to talk poor, about that too. Poor, poor Storm. <laughs> oh man, nothing could have prepared me for the number of horses I would end up drawing. For this series. <laughs> I was so unprepared. Um, and, uh, I remember, like, Kara is just, like, the description of her being, like, a, a genuine fairy princess is just, like, okay, I want her to look impish. I want her to look um, mischievous. Like, definitely the fashion girl meets a little bit of, like, a bohemian twist, but everything should be, like, wispy. Like, she could fly away at any moment, and she's just got this look about her, like she's listening to you, but there's also something that she wants to do, and she's probably going to do that. Um and uh, I remember being a little disappointed by the feedback uh, for both her and Adrian because I felt like they ended up seeming similar looking, um, despite, of course, having different coloration. But it's just like the, 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 the sense of their characters felt as though uh, it had been a bit homogenized. Um, but at the time, again, like I, I wouldn't have known how to recognize or sound off on that feedback. Um, and I think, it, I think as we went forward, we were able to strike some pretty good compromises. I think that Emily is the most striking different. But you had mentioned that there is similar. I'm, I might have liked Emily. Well, there you go. <laughs> you identified with her. We have hashtag Tamara forever. We're going to have to have hashtag Emily forever. <laughs> but, you know, thinking about those other characters, I mean, loving Tamara, I do definitely identify with Emily. But with regards to clothing, I think that I've always kind of gone more through a either Adrian emo phase mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. the very, like, sassy, very fashionista phase as well those are the two that I've always gone through I've never really been kind of the I don't know she's like she's very naturey but she's also kind of nerdy but she's Mm -hmm. like kind of put together I that's never been me so I don't identify her in that sense do you (laughs) identify with her like who of those do you identify with um I definitely dressed like Adrian like I had Adrian dressed better than me I had zero fashion sense zero interest in fashion probably just zero interest in (laughs) being seen or corporeal in in, in, in any sense just like I was I, I, I was very content to like you know the people will look at my art and we can talk online just like desperately introverted so most of my clothing were like you know shorts that went to my knees way too baggy like (laughs) t-shirts that I I owned and and jealously guarded for you know my my mom or my sister would try to throw away when I wasn't looking so they're full of holes um just a lot of dumpy hand-me-downs but I was comfy so I didn't care um Emily like I feel like I had to I had to channel something a little different. Like I wanted her to look comfortable, like she could go outside and not feel like constrained, but I also wanted her to look uh, a little nerdy, like you said, kind of put together. So somewhere in the realm of like school uniform, but still casual. Um, I like, and it's a little bit preppy. It's a little bit, but it's a little bit nature kid. Mm-hmm. Hiker. Yeah. Exactly. Hiker. Hiker's a good way to think about yeah. it. Like, it's like, like nerdy. We'll call it nerdy hiker. Nerdy um, hiker. There you go. Um, but Kara pushed me so far out of my comfort zone because uh, along with not having a fashion sense for myself, I didn't really have, I, I did not have a fashion sense for Kara. And again, 
wish I knew a lot more about looking up references, et cetera, et cetera. Things that I do now to prepare for work would have really come in handy. Had I just done them for Kara, she would have looked so much better. So you didn't go to the mall or anything like that or look at like a magazine? Not as much as I probably should have. Like, I just remember thinking, it's like, well, she just needs like a, a cute tank top and a skirt, right? Nothing to it. It's just like, oh, Kara, I'm so sorry. I did you so wrong. (laughs) So now if you could read, I mean, honestly, I would love to see like a redo, even if you wanted to do it just for fun. But like just to explain it, like if since you're saying, you know, now that you kind of know more, is there something that you would change about them from what they look like currently? Um. A lot of things. Um, I think if I were to revisit their designs, I'd, I'd want to push them apart again. And I think that's that's feedback that I think at this phase in my career, I would be a lot more prepared to give. Um, like they, again, like they're, they're too similar to each other, too similar looking. And while I really love that each of the girls represents a, a distinct personality that I feel like, you know, their readers can identify with. Uh, I, I didn't feel the same way about how they looked. Like I, I wanted to see their body types a little bit different. I wanted their fashions to be a, just, you know, more explored, a little less. I'm just doing what I know. Um, just play with their silhouettes a little bit more to make them more striking, a little less like. Not to say anime is bad. I'm still really, really inspired by anime, but just like pushing, pushing them a little bit further. Um, just like. Yeah, it's it's something that I think they they'd end up. I, I would want them to once again like look like the kinds of characters that they they felt like in the stories, rather than like very similar looking pseudo anime fantasy girls with different hair. Mm-hmm. Which again, and, I'm sorry, that sounds way too critical, but no, no, I love it. No, I, no, no, I, I no. A, I spent a lot of time drawing these girls, and it's just like I I always I, it's something that if if I ever did revisit them, that's that's something that would be super fun to explore. That's like my life is revisiting my art projects and my like editing projects. Like I just will constantly be retweaking stuff. And it's like, sometimes you just have to let it go. Like it's already been done. It's already been published, <laughs> like let it go. But then there's that artist in you that just is like, but, but this thing, it still bothers me. It's like, like I, I can't, I can't turn back time. I can't do it again. There literally are not enough hours in the day. Right. There's a part of me that's like, would it satisfy some, would it satisfy some part of me to know that so many years later, perhaps I could lay their tormented souls to rest by, de- <laughs> by designing them in a way that I feel like represents them well. I think there's a lot of tormented souls out there that just might feel that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, again, like I, again, I, I, I feel like it's it's easy for me to be very very critical of of the things that I draw and like I I do I I don't want to hate on it too much because like I I know that these characters and these stories you know, they they end up meaning so much to a lot of people who read them and like I've like one of the things that was really striking to me on this project because again like I I didn't have a background with Avalon before I began working on it and it was definitely more to me than just like a job. I'm doing it because it's my job, but it didn't really like land with me how impactful it was like outside of like my headspace of like, Oh, I should have drawn that better. Oh my gosh. Oh, all these things that bother me because I spend all this time with it hold up in my, in my little, not quite studio. But um, I was actually at uh, an anime convention working in an artist alley uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana 
and um, someone came up to my table and started gushing about Avalon and how much the books meant to them. And I was just like, at that moment, just like overwhelmed and, and humbled. And just like, I wanted to like take this person's whole outside experience and feelings about these things and just like crush them up and, and keep them inside for like all those moments that I would find myself later like with this project feeling like you know I'm, I'm not good enough to be working on this I haven't worked hard enough or this is never going to be right you know hypercritical hypercritical just like remembering that like someone out there saw this and was so touched by it and it inspired them to like pursue drawing or it inspired them to try something they wouldn't have done before and just like that was something that would really like kind of help me be positive about it when I felt really, really run down. That's a beautiful story. And I think that that's exactly why you do what you do is because you want to give people an emotional connection. You create the visions that they have that they can't necessarily like a hundred percent solidify in their mind. And then you give them that. And that's exactly what I got when I was reading the story. As I mentioned, this is my very first time reading through the series. I just finished circles in the stream two months ago. And now I just finished the second book, all that glitters. And I will tell you your illustrations when reading the book, it helps me to picture all those fantastical creatures. <laughs> like how you were mentioning, you know, all, all the specific names and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the names still, unfortunately. <laughs> there are but- some, Quiffle is yet. I don't. I don't remember. I I just know they're ducks or something like that. (laughs) But you gave me the thing to look at. Like when I'm turning the page and I look, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Like my mind is trying its best to like understand what this thing is, and then and then there it is, and it's like, oh, that's it. There you go. Or you know, and then the other day when I was reading through through and and when Kara was inside of the sauna and when she had the you know specter coming out of the water oh, the like banshee. the banshee. Yes. Oh my goodness. So like to I literally day, yes, tell me. Day, oh, I am so surprised that that illustration went through to this day. I remember drawing <laughs> that thinking this is way too scary. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And you know, it's it's helping me to picture all of these things and and it literally of course it's you know everything combined, but again, just as you were saying how much it meant to that person and there's people that are listening right now that have those exact same feelings. At the That's end amazing. of the book, I wrote Chris and I texted him. I even did a live video on, or not a live video, but I did a video on Instagram. I was literally crying. Like <laughs> when the book ended, um, just on the second book, but when it ended, I was crying. Oh and it's gosh. because I have connected so much with the characters, with the illustrations. It's become reality to me in my imagination. And oh. so we have to thank you for that. Well, thank really. you so much for sharing. That's that's amazing. I'm I'm really happy to hear. <laughs> it, it is fantastic. It is fantastic. So now my other questions. Okay, now we've talked about these magical creatures. So mm-hmm. my my question, my second to last question regarding the book series itself is those magical creatures. How did you come up with like what they looked like? <laughs> Baby Allie drew a lot of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going back to like D and D. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I love monsters. I absolutely love monsters. If you t- if you t- said, okay, Allie, 
you can do any job you want. Any job you want. Just name it. It would it would be like designing video game monsters or something. Um, just it's like I had like folders and folders full of things drawn on copy paper and CNC printouts and colored <laughs> furiously with crayons. I actually have uh, I actually have one on my fridge from when I was a kid. And it's like giant ants and ghost dragons and and just really weird stuff. Like so, reading the books, like there would be descriptions for some things, um, but then sometimes with the bestiary, like you'd get a monster and have to kind of come up with something, and it was just like just reach into the the grab bag of like your your memory of like all <laughs> these things you think are cool, and and then like walk around with it and bring it to life and like poke it and see what see what makes it tick and try to capture that somehow um i think one of my favorite uh one of my favorite designs uh, for the bestiary i think what was it called and what book was it in here we go um i think it was a golem and it might have been in song of not song song of the unicorns there's two of the unicorns books one of them has one unicorn and the other has 30 baby unicorns and it's the one with 30 baby unicorns <laughs> nothing could have prepared me for the number of horses <laughs> so many. i like you were saying a second ago how it's like you don't know the names of like the ducks and mm-hmm. little bunny rabbits and things like that yeah, i need you to know Song I, need you to, I, I, I need you to know that I once knew the name and coat colors of all of the unicorns on the cover, on the cover of Song of the Unicorns. Wow. So many. They are not random. <laughs> we'll have to dig deep, deep, deep down and try to find out what those I, were and go back to I, it. I feel... I feel like I have had a complicated relationship with unicorns <laughs> since that book. <laughs> because that was like, there are multiple illustrations that show all of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't look at another ropey set of legs and giraffe neck baby unicorn. <laughs> I will oh. literally lose my mind. <laughs> Think about those animators on My Little Pony. Oh <laughs> no! But I totally get you. I understand. I haven't gotten that far, so I don't unfortunately know which book you're talking about. But oh, I know that when I get there, when I get there, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna be like, oh, that's the one she was just, talking about. I just want you to just when you get there on that fateful day, when you see <laughs> when you see an illustration with thirty baby unicorns in it. Just remember, I want you to picture me in in my like little dorm room at college, hunched over my computer, drawing every single unicorn in that picture. <laughs> and naming all of them. They have names. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. I think at this oh point gosh. the I think at this point the only I don't even remember the prince and princess's name anymore. It's so sad. But I, I think the green one in the foreground's name was Boodle. <laughs> I'm gonna take your word for it. Don't um, but know. yeah, um, monster monsters and creatures and 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 magical that magical creatures in general are just a favorite fallback. Like to this day, it's something that I really really love. So uh, Avalon being full of all kinds of magical creatures was just like it was heaven. Like it it, it was right. like there were times where like 
that didn't feel like work at all because it's just like draw the coolest thing you can think of. And <laughs> Isn't a project like that just fantastic? That's awesome. It's, it's so good. You had mentioned the Banshee looked a little too scary that you, at least that you thought was not going to be approved after some of the other feedback that you had received. Was there anything that maybe you had to change significantly, whether that was because it was too scary or it wasn't, you know, magical enough or whatever? I mean, I don't think that that probably would have been a problem. Not, I mean, not very often. Um, so like the folks at Seven Seas were um, super open to a lot of the suggestions that came through with the artwork. Um, most of their feedback tended to be on uh, making it a little more legible. Um, like I said, most of the art that I was making around that time was very low contrast and very mushy, which looks okay on a screen and prints really bad, especially on like, you know, matte, uh, like newsprint paper stock that you get in these books. It just, it soaks it up and bleeds everywhere. Um, but um, I think the one that I remember that uh, needed to be changed was uh, it might have actually been the very first uh, black and white illustration uh, in Circles in the Stream. And there's a scene. Um, let me actually open the file here to see if there was a version of it that made it in. OK, no, we took that version out. Um, so when you read that book, there's that part in the beginning where Emily's like in uh, in the clinic and Lyra, who you don't know is Lyra just yet, is like horribly burned and thrashing around mm -hmm. and they're trying to pin her down. Um, we actually drew a version of that scene that showed Emily like kind of cowering against a wall and you can kind of see like shadows and the action a little bit in the foreground, but not enough to see what's going on. Um, and the drawing was terrifying. Um, like it, it was just, it was really, really scary. And I remember, um, the feedback that they passed along with, it was very funny. Um, they said she looked like she had to go to the bathroom, but that's not how they said it. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I think, um, what what they, what they meant by that was just like the, the tone of that drawing was just, it was not it was not appropriate like it was so hopeless and so scary and what what would it, what we really needed to be conveying with those scenes were like um like let that moment pass like in a in a flash where you know your heart is beating and you're reading this thing that's really upsetting and get to those moments and let the illustrations like be like um i mentioned before that some illustrations are a breath um, so the scenes where like Emily is curled up in front of uh, Lyra's cage, uh, sleeping to keep her company, like a, a quiet moment that just gives your mind a place to stop racing about a scary thing that just happened. Um, and that, uh, that that's a way better place to to put that um, because it's like the, the writing is already so terrifying. You, you don't need a drawing on top of that, like showing your mind's eye how incredibly horrified you should feel about what's happening. Right. Um, my final thought is because for me, I love marketing. Um, how like a part of the whole marketing process did they, you know, kind of make you a part of it? Like for marketing, like the actual book series or the, you know, you had mentioned about creating that's um, the, the, artwork for selling the potential um, animated film and things like mm -hmm. that. Like what else were you involved with? Because we're also trying to archive at least like 
and we're working, you know, with our partners at the Arlevon Archive of understanding what merchandise was out there. Like, did you do any of the other like merchandise or did they use your artwork on anything else that you know of? Not that I know of. So I've seen some of the compositions from the book illustrations reused here and there. But other than that, um, I wasn't really very close. Yeah, sorry, I, I know you said you were excited about this, but um, most of my involvement was actually just around the books. Um, the, 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 the one sheet promo poster was probably the, the furthest away from that. Oh, there's there's my cat. I'm sorry. You will hear him. <laughs> it's all good. He's very old and very opinionated. He knows... He knows. <laughs> Joey, no. Joey, no. Meow. Yeah. Okay, come here. If I don't... There we go. Now there's a cat. He's an ancient 20-pound tabby. Aw. And he's probably going to yell a lot. Um, but <laughs> yeah, most... Is he in your art at all? Do you ever draw something that looks like him? I, you know, I don't think... I don't think Joey or Sophie uh, ever made it into any of the illustrations now that I think about it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that my mom's dog, Poe, made it into one of them, and not in a flattering way, because uh, he was a destructive puppy, Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure one of the monsters is based on him. Oh. (laughs) I just can't remember which one right now. I just have, like, an incredibly visceral memory of, like, channeling my unhappiness that the dog had a... that the dog Poe had eaten some oh, things of mine and just being like, you're going to, you're going to be the face of this monster Posey. How um, fun. Now I feel like I need to remember what it was. It was probably like part of Avalon or something. Um, but yeah, um, other than the one sheet, there wasn't really, um, I don't really think I was involved much in, in the marketing of it. Like I worked mostly on the books. Okay. And and the only reason why I ask is because I know that sometimes because that artwork becomes so, you know, iconographic, like blah, blah, blah. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a word, but, you it's know, okay. it's, I, I know, you know what you're saying. Right. So Words it's just, it's such an icon of the series that they'll be like, oh, well, we're going to put this, you know, on like a lunchbox. Or we're going to put this on something else or a poster or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, so you know, with regards to the animated series, did they give you any direction when trying to create the new, I know you said that you try to make it look more realistic, but did you do anything else to the one sheet that was maybe in, after everything that you had learned, like how you said, you know, oh, I want to change either their shapes or whatever it is. Like, did you make those changes that you wanted or was it still kind of just based on what you had already done? So I was given a packet of uh, references. So um, funny enough, like ideas for like the directions of like what the girls facial features and things like that would look like, because again, they were imagining something a bit more realistic. Um, And clearly that that really wasn't my wheelhouse, but I was going to do my best to channel it. And of course, we drew them from behind. So (laughs) none of that ended up really coming in handy for that. Um, But um, I remember having to just like reference movie posters and uh, like more rendered styles of art, you know, things that if I'd ever made anything like that in the past, like I certainly hadn't in quite some time. And I just, I needed to be a student of it while also producing something like in that style. Um, But for the most part, like it was important that the characters were just recognizable from behind. So that's always challenging you needed to be able to tell who the animals were. So um, I, I'm once again wrestling with like, okay, I have to draw quadrupeds again. And <laughs> I need them to look more realistic than usual. Oh, dear. 
Lyra, why do you have so many spots? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, of course, uh, maybe it was a blessing that they were from behind because, like, I remember, like, the the face of the Dark Sorceress was such a battle um, because, like, I want to exaggerate things in a way that's very cartoony. And as you know, when you try to make cartoons realistic looking, you wander into that their uncanny valley. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bad time. Um, So it was it was really, really difficult. Um, there wasn't really a lot of room for thought about, um, the kinds of exaggeration or redesign that I would apply to cartooning. Um, just because like here now we are trying to emulate something that looks more realistic anyway. And, uh, we're not really going to be exaggerating things in the same way. So I can't like literally play with the shape of somebody's head or body or see how the things that they wear change their silhouette, um, like really dramatically, as you would in cartooning um, or their hair or things like that, because it's like, well, that's not what, you know, actual people hair looks like. Um, so there was just a lot of energy spent trying to work in a style um, that I really wasn't familiar with. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty incredible learning experience. I love the fact that it was a learning for you from the very beginning because you didn't really have a lot of experience in that particular field. And everyone has to start somewhere. So no one's going to hold that against you. But I love the fact that because <laughs> of the fact that there was a, you know, it's something that's important to you because as you said, you know, this is truly one of the first big breaks that you got. And so that's one of the reasons why we're seeing your growth too and why it maybe meant a little bit more. It's because, hey, this is, you know, my first endeavor. This is the first time that I'm really working with a publisher. This is the first time I'm getting critiques and I'm getting feedback. I'm having to change it. I'm having, you know, I'm not necessarily my own director, you know, and and that's a beautiful story. Yeah. I love it. It it really like, I, I think a lot of things worked at the time, kind of like I said before, because in many ways I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and I think that, that was that made me um, probably unfortunately naive in a lot of times, but it also gave me just like that weird like shield of invincibility when I needed it the most because mm-hmm. like you could just think it's like you know it's it's not the end of the world just just keep at it and don't look down, um, and that that came in handy more times than I can count. Awesome. Well, that's such a great story. Thank you so much for sharing (laughs) everything with us. I mean, I love the fact that we've gone from, you know, baby alley through anime (laughs) alley through college alley and Avalon (laughs) alley. And so now we're here in the present. So catch us up to speed. I mean, what are things that, you know, if you can share with us, like what are things that you're working on or like, is there a a best way for people if they're interested in seeing your artwork where they can go (laughs) to see that? Um, yeah, so uh, present day Ali actually had, um, I guess, I, again, like words fail me a little bit. Like I actually ended up getting to work in games. So um, I'm in California. I, I think I mentioned when we first started talking that. Um, so I, I've been out here for a couple of years now. I, I can't really believe how long. Like I. I realized that this will probably be like the fifth year I've been out here from uh, moving from uh, Minnesota where I went to school. Um, And I I went from doing artwork for uh, comics and and children's books and, you know, freelance opportunities as I could find them mostly in publishing. Like I I 
feel like I ended up learning a lot about that world starting from Avalon and then through uh, just various jobs working with various really incredible people uh, as I went. Um, and then one day when I, I just so happened to be, you know, back out looking for uh, a new uh, a new opportunity, a new book to publish, like not publish, a new book to illustrate or something like that, um, I got one of those another one of those life-changing emails. And the next thing I knew I was coming out to interview with a little startup in, uh, in California to, um, design pilots to go with giant robots for a fighting game called rising thunder. Um, and it was so much fun. Uh, and, and it was like, once again, like, back in that situation where it's like, I think I know what I'm doing and I'm going to be good at it. But like every time you turn around, you're learning something new and getting, you know, knocked back into your place and just like, (laughs) I'm a student all over again. And I, I can't afford to lose time beating myself up because it's like, I've got so much to learn. Um, and through a lot of crazy adventures, like I'm, I'm now, uh, working with a fantastic team and like, just, I love it. I'm, I, I never I think like I'm I'm still at a point where I feel like no matter how much I I think I I know, like there's still just an incredible amount that I have yet to learn to like help now learn how to be a much better, much more supportive teammate for again these people who I I look up to and just love to see every single day while we work on this project together. Um Unfortunately, I can't talk about the project, um, but <laughs> we uh, understand. If, yeah. But if you're if you if you're interested in just seeing artwork that I make in my own time, I, I keep an Instagram fairly reliably. Um, so if if you if you want to see any of my doodles of like random OCs or just fun stuff that I think of on the side, and you know I I draw it because I don't know. Um, it's just Ali Birdseed. Um, and uh and yeah that's that's basically where i'm at i'm i'm still getting in over my head and learning <laughs> as i go and uh again like i can't i can't even begin to express how just insanely grateful i feel at this point in my life that i've gotten to spend like pretty much all of my time making art for a living and sometimes it has been incredibly hard like the kind of hard where it's like you're afraid to leave your room because you don't know how you're going to make your rent this month you know like horror stories and things like that but like through through thick and thin and just again the support of incredible people along the way um like I I am just so incredibly grateful to just continue to be able to explore new chapters. Um, and Avalon was a really important step along this way. So it's really great to get to reflect on all this stuff with y'all. Well, I'm so glad we had the opportunity to chat with you. That was an incredible conversation. <laughs> I loved Thank it. You. Every minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's it's really been fun for me too. Like again, it's it's been so long since I've seen this art or gotten to think about Avalon. So like it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, do I really want to look at these? I drew them so long ago. But then it's like <laughs> there there are so many memories attached to them that like, oh, this is what I was doing then, and oh, this is what that person talked to me about over here. And it's just like it's it's just it's just neat getting to like go through all of these things and like 
wonderful to hear that there are still folks out there who are looking at this series as a, a place where they find joy. Um, and just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. So thanks again for reaching out. Of course. Thank you. And I think that you summed it up right there at the end to quote someone else that I'm rather close to is that, you know, Avalon truly is a source of joy and inspiration. So, you know, to people of all ages and, hmm. and that's the wonderful thing about it. So thank you. Um, we can't thank Ali enough for coming on and sharing some incredible memories of Avalon Web of Magic. Like she said, if you want to see more from her, you can follow her at Ali Birdseed on Instagram, which we'll link in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about Avalon Web of Magic, you can visit the Avalon Archive at avalonarchive.wordpress.com. And if you want to find out more about Jewel Riders, the show that inspired Avalon Web of Magic, you can find us at www.jewelridersarchive.com. To find more episodes of this podcast, you can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our home on Podbean. Just look for Jewel Riders Archive. And as we always like to say, as we end our podcasts, friends together, friends forever. forever. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks so much, Allie, for being here. We appreciate it. Thank yes, you thank very, you very much. Thank you for the time to speak with us. We loved every minute. Me too. This was so fun, you guys. Thank you. And well, stay safe. Stay I guess safe, we'll everyone. Everyone in Avalon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.